I actually, I almost think of it as like um, my first sort of like reciprocal exchange and experience with God um, was my grieving process. Um, it was something that I, I went through a lot of therapy, of course, to get through the trauma of what happened. And uh, you really do grieve even if you don't lose that person. She's a singer, she's an artist, she's an actress, and she's a cat lady. And she's a uniquely amazing person. Today, we're talking to Kayleen, and this is a Perishable Podcast. Well, this is Aaron. This is an episode of the Perishable Podcast, and today our guest is Kayleen. And if you don't know who Kayleen is, Kayleen, you know what Kayleen sounds like, because Kayleen <laughs> is the beautiful voice that sings on Sunday mornings um, with John and the team. And uh, we're lucky to have a conversation with Kayleen on this Monday morning. Kayleen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Are you? That, that's, that's, that's a pretty enthusiastic uh, response for a Monday morning in quarantine. No, honestly, I am. Um, I think Drew and I are pretty privileged in that we, you know, have, we kind of like to be at home. (laughs) Um, So we've just been like hanging out and watching movies and things that we've been, things that we've been meaning to do together anyways, to kind of have the gift of time to do that now. So it's actually been kind of nice for us. Wow. So what, what do you find difficult then in times like this? If, if you enjoy the, the solitude and the isolation isn't driving you nuts, what does drive you nuts? I'm just a little bit anxious about what's going on out there. I'm more worried about like other people, like people who don't have the option to stay home or people who are immunocompromised. So, I mean, if me staying home and going dancing in the living room with Drew is going to help people, I'm (laughs) A-okay with that. Yes. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad that um, you're comfortable with, uh, because we're probably going to be in this situation for a little while, eh? So I hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was out in the outside world today. I had to take do an errand, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very different. It's quiet, but um, like a ghost town a little it bit. It is, and uh, yeah, you're not missing much. So we live on a pretty busy street, and it's been very quiet. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a little surreal, honestly. And uh, there's a playground in the backyard, like the sort of middle of where all of our townhouses are, and there's police tape all over it, which kind of makes you realize what's going on. (laughs) Is it a crime scene or are they just saying don't play here? It's hard to tell, you know? (laughs) Like, I think they should have have done something besides police tape on the, uh, in the parks. It's just, it, yeah, it's a little freaky. It is. uh, Yeah. It brings to mind some sort of apocalyptic scenarios, but luckily it's just for everybody's safety. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kayleen, what don't we know about you? What is something you would tell us that would surprise us? Hmm. Is there anything? I'm a really really big nerd. Okay. Um, I love, like, video games and Dungeons & Dragons and magic cards, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Wow. So when you said nerd, I thought, you know, I picture you at the kitchen table taking apart a VCR, but that's not what you mean. (laughs) No, I guess like nerd culture, like, I don't know. I just like um, fantasy and like all those different genres and stuff that Drew's introduced me to really. Um, He works at a game store and yeah. So you're also an artist. I am. An incredible artist. And you saying that you're into like fantasy and that kind of stuff, that's obviously influenced your art, yes? 
Yes, definitely. Um, I usually describe my work as like dreamy and imaginative. Um, and a like lot of that. the ideas that I get are hybrids from different video games or books or movie series that I'm into at whatever given time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very cool. So I a couple of weeks ago, just before quarantine, uh, me and Brooklyn made a trip down to Port Hope and we saw your art show at Tobin's Cafe, which was yeah. very cool. Um, I didn't know what a Tobin was until I got there. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. If you're a cat lover you know what a Tobin is. I'm a cat lover. I just don't have a cat. And when I had cats, we didn't call them Tobins. But anyways, that was a very cool show. But unfortunately for you, it got cut short, didn't it? It did. Yeah. Um, kind of all suddenly. Um, the most disappointing thing that happened during that was uh, Drew and I were actually in a musical that we had one show and then it all got shut down. Yeah. So it was kind of like March was the big month for us. We were looking forward to it and had lots of stuff planned and it all just came to a grinding halt. So you're a bit of a conundrum then. So you and Drew enjoy solitude. You enjoy um, being at home, but you're into theater. Yeah. Okay, Figure that, that, that one out. That is, <laughs> explain that. That's, um, you know, that's a bit out there. I don't know. Honestly, like I used to consider myself extroverted, uh, but I don't know if that's something that maybe changes with age. I definitely would consider myself an introvert now, but being on stage is like, it's almost like an adrenaline rush, I guess. Uh, there's something about it that once you do it, you kind of get hooked. I guess they call it the theater bug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, the theory of relativity was the play you were in. You did one show and then um, all public performances were canceled. Is it yes. been postponed? Will you guys be picking it up again after quarantine, you hope? Um, that's the plan. But the tricky part is, is that it's a student group. So some of the students will be back home or uh, graduated or we don't really know when or how we're going to approach it. But hopefully we'll be able to remount it. Um, I think the best guess now is like September or October, possibly. But yeah. who knows, really? Yeah, yeah. All bets are off. Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. Hey, let's let's um, let's talk faith for a second. Um, sure. You are. How would you describe your faith journey? I don't want to put any words in your mouth. I'm just gonna just we'll, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. How would you describe <laughs> your journey? I would say it's unusual. Um, I don't really. I, I don't know how to approach it. It's kind of weird. I guess I grew up um, agnostic sort of like my mom always had this like sort of vague undefined spirituality but it was sort of just like um a little bit of everything really um she never like told me what to believe or um influence that really unless I was curious and asked um but uh yeah for the most part I would have just considered myself agnostic I was always open to the idea of a higher being um but I didn't really know. And I guess I still don't really know. I don't have all of the answers. Um, but sometimes things happen in your life that uh, push you in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the nature of faith, right? Is mm -hmm. we put our trust in something that can't be proven. Faith is the opposite of certainty. And, and while there's a lot of things that I, I think I know, um, there's a lot of things that I, I take on faith and trust. And um, I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, you absolutely. Know. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where did it begin then? Where did this kind of, um, this path go divergent from how you were raised to, um, where you find yourself now? 
Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> oh gosh, it was so much longer ago than I thought. It was December, uh, November 2018. Um, I guess Drew and I got together in 2016. We'd known each other for a while. And the entire time we were together, um, he was sick off and on. Um, like just being really nauseous and then being really dizzy and they could never quite figure out what was going on and it kind of ebbed and flowed. It would affect his life sometimes and other times not so much. Um, and we just sort of lived with it. Um, then it all came to a head in 2018. Um, we were actually at the theater for a different production. He was directing and, um, he, his brain just shut down and, um, they put him in a scan and realized that he had a tumor on the back of his brain that they think had been there for quite a while and had been the reason for why he had been so sick. Um, and so, so began the craziest two weeks of my life. Um, yeah, it was, nothing can really prepare you for the moment they tell you that, right? Yeah. Well, if, if everything happened in two weeks, obviously it was very serious and, mm -hmm. you know, um, so what, what happened in that two weeks? How did they treat? So I showed up at the Peterborough Hospital, bless their hearts. Um, they actually, like, revived him. Um, I guess what had happened is it got so bad without any serious consideration of that could have been something more serious that his brain just kind of shut down. Yeah. Um, so when I got to the hospital, he was actually, like, just completely out. Um, and then within an hour, they had him in one of the special orange ambulances to take him to Kingston. So that's actually where we ended up for two weeks. Um, the first two weeks of November, November, we were there. And he had two brain surgeries during that time. One of them was to like relieve the pressure that had been building up on his brain. And the other one was to remove the tumor. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's actually really wild to think that it all happened in the span of two weeks because yeah. it feels like a weird, long but also short dream. It's so surreal. Yeah. Yeah. And so were you there for that two weeks? I was, yes. Actually, they couldn't get me to leave the room. They kept um, trying to get me to go rest. Um, they were amazing, by the way. The whole ICU team yeah. at Kingston were awesome. They have like rooms where families can stay when somebody's in the ICU. Okay. But uh, I just curled up on one of those little hospital chairs and basically sat down and was with him the whole time. They could not get me to leave. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's intense. That's insane. It was. Yeah. It was very intense. And um, so what was the light in that time for you? There was none until there was. <laughs> um, Ooh, I like that. I, there was none until there was. <laughs> I felt really like hopeless. And I also struggle with some pretty serious um, depression and anxiety. Um, so the anxiety kind of flared, obviously I was, you know, running on no sleep and in the hospital and Drew was sedated, like completely out. I couldn't talk to him. I had no idea if he would remember me or anything. So one night, um, a few days in, it was like maybe 3am. I started panicking and the nurse, um, suggested that I go for a walk. And so actually right outside of the ICU, right where Drew was, uh, was a little chuckle, like a little multi-faith space. Um, and I was, this was probably like the most panicky and desperate I've ever felt in my entire life. So I went in there and I can, I can just remember like it was, it felt like sort of kitschy. Like it was 
there was a buzzing fluorescent lights behind the stained glass and you could hear just this like hum of the hospital around you. And I just started getting so overwhelmed and I sat down in there and I just said, um, Hey God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, this would be a really good time to show me that. (laughs) Um, so I just just being honest, just being honest. Yeah. Yeah. I was just sitting there kind of praying for, I think the first time I ever really prayed and I felt this like, calm just sort of wash over me in an instant it was as if somebody walked into the room and turned off the lights or like said something to me that was reassuring like it was an an instant of calm it was so hard to explain but I felt better and I went back and I got some sleep and the next day Drew actually woke up from his sedation like unplanned um and like talk to me uh he had a breathing tube in but they gave him a piece of paper and I guess they just said he's really strong and healthy so he kind of like broke through the uh the sedation and uh we started chatting and my friend Sophie was there and it was actually funny because right before he woke up we were talking about how we were going to get him chicken wings the second we got out (laughs) and he actually woke up in that moment which was so funny but uh yeah they gave him a piece of paper so we were able to communicate he remembered me he asked where his mom and dad were like all those things you would you would uh, expect. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recently got a tattoo of his messy handwriting. He wrote, how could I forget? <laughs> and that's really sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool. um, so that's a, that's a special thing that I'm holding on to. But that's when I started to rethink what I thought about faith. I realized that this was something that was also happening to me and I was going to have to deal with it one way or another. Um, I had to sort of be strong for him and for myself. Um, so that's sort of where things started to look up. It wasn't until maybe January, the following January, a couple months later, where I started to do some research, talk to some Christian friends I had from high school and sort of settle into my faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happened quickly, really. Um, but yeah, it was definitely what got me through those two weeks in the hospital. Just the kind of hope that there was someone out there on my side. Yeah, like a kind of a reassurance that the universe sees and it's going to yes. be okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like an, something unlike anything I had experienced before, like a supernatural calm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And it, yeah. <laughs> and coming home, you said it took, what, almost a year to as you just started probably processing. Plus, with Jew being home, you know, there's just so much going on. But the following November, did you say you started digging in deeper, asking more questions? What was, what? Actually, it was, so it was in November 2018 that it happened, and it was actually on my birthday, January 20th of 2019, that I, like, had my come-to-Jesus moment where I went, okay, this is happening, and I started doing my research, <laughs> and well, I actually uh, landed at the parish in the fe- in February, so yeah. it was only a couple of months. Okay, describe that come-to-Jesus moment. That, that, that intrigues me. <laughs> yeah. Was it, was it just, like, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, it was like I I had been digesting what happened in the hospital and thinking about it and trying to heal and still curious about that that still small voice that I heard that I Mm -hmm. didn't know whose voice it was or couldn't, you know what I mean? Like that that unexplainable calm. And so I actually, like I said, I reached out to some friends I had in high school who were Christian their whole lives. And I just started talking. I started asking questions. I started challenging things and... um, 
uh, on my birthday is when it kind of all culminated and I went, whoa, this, there's something to this. <laughs> right. I really need to pay attention and listen up. Wow. That's, yeah. ama- that's amazing. Cause I think, you know, if I could be so bold, I think a lot of people, well, many of us at some point in our lives, we're going to have these moments where it, we question everything, you know, and mm-hmm. where if we, um, push through, uh, the universe kind of shows up in these ways that just feel like we get rescued. Like what, how I picture what you've just described. And Mm -hmm. what often happens is life happens and then we have these moments and then things kind of get back to a new normal and we kind of forget about that, that kind of epiphany. And, um, I love, I love how you've described this, you know, this time after where you had this come to Jesus moment where you kind of, you know, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it kind of feels like you, you realized I don't just want this to be normal again. I want to actually yes. go where this is pushing me kind of thing, right? If, they, if Put it this way, if God or the divine kind of opens opens itself up and makes contact, you kind of want to go where it's taking you, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And that's, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. I meet a lot of people that have these moments and they do nothing about them after. And what I love about your story is you did something mm-hmm. um, and you got serious about it, you know? Um, it, it's yeah. so, I think it's so easy to forget. Um, but you didn't forget and instead you acted on it and, um, it might, is that sound, am I right in saying that? Absolutely. Yeah. I actually, I almost think of it as like, um, my first sort of like reciprocal exchange and experience with God, um, was my grieving process. Um, it was something that I, I went through a lot of therapy, of course, to get through the trauma of what happened. And, uh, you really do grieve even if you don't lose that person. Right. You sort of grieve in, you know, the alternate fantasies or nightmares of what could have happened. And you also grieve how your life was before. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came to that acceptance part of this, you know, five stages of grief where I went, okay, things are not going to be the same way that they were before. They never will. I'm not going to be the same. Drew's not going to be the same. Our relationship and life together won't be the same. So if I'm, if it's going to change, I might as well make it a good change. Right. So that's kind of what led me to sort of pursue this faith. And I saw it also as self-improvement as well. Um, Something that could help me maybe get better, help me heal in a, you know, faster and more productive way, I guess, Um, as opposed to just sort of sitting in my sadness and my grief. I decided to try and make it into something. Still Mm -hmm. working on it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, that's called redemption, I think. That's the word that I use to describe it. When we're given something that feels like it's, you know, um, uh, horrible and something good grows out of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We redeem I it. There's we, a lot we of kinda, to that. Yeah, we bring value to it. Um, mm-hmm. And so you start, you have you had some Christian friends, obviously, that um, you knew before this experience. Are those, is that? Is that... Yeah, yeah. Um particularly my friend Jackie, um, she lives in a different province and we, our our friendship was mostly online. Um, we actually met through a band that we both liked when we were both in high school. Um, and sort of kept in touch, you know, social media, you kind of like are seeing what's going on in people's lives, even if you're not actively communicating, but I reached out to her and, um, I think it was actually sort of, um, like a, I was drawn to her because I watched her, her journey to faith through social media. And I think I was actually reaching out uh, to ask her for prayers or 
how do I pray or can you pray for me? Um, I was just having a particularly rough time, of course, with getting back to quote unquote normal. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so Jackie was actually like instrumental in helping me find my way and helping me connect with resources that would help me. We would do like FaceTime sessions where she would say, nothing's off limit. You can ask me anything you want about Jesus. Like, Let's right. get into it. Yeah. Can, I, can I get Jackie's number? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. Everyone needs a yeah. friend like that. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so she lived in a different province. So how, how did you finally make connection to the parish? How did you find us? How did we get so lucky? So one of the things I was kind of wrestling uh, with wrestling through with Jackie um, was sort of how do I bring my sort of progressive and liberal politics and lifestyle and opinions to meet my faith because all I had known of faith was this small town version of it that I grew up surrounded by in Huntsville which was very much not in line with my values Um, and so I wrestled a lot with some of these things and eventually I found like uh, a circle of social media, like progressive Christians on YouTube and, and Instagram and Twitter. And I actually just searched Peterborough Progressive Christian Church. And the first thing that came up was the parish. And so I was like, hmm. And I sent you a message and took the two buses to get out there. And boy, I'm <laughs> right. glad that I did. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think just just for those listening who are wondering, what what is this idea of progressive Christian? Because that's a, a fairly new term. Um mm-hmm. I think what makes the, the parish progressive is just we're not afraid to um, to ask hard questions of tradition. Absolutely, yeah. And um, it doesn't mean we necessarily throw them all out because the parish, what makes the parish so great is it's very diverse. We have, you know, people from all kinds of different backgrounds that hold differing views on a lot of things, but we choose as the parish community to come together, set our differences aside and celebrate what we have in common, which is a, a desire to know God um, and to follow the way of Jesus. So, yeah, um, yeah we, when we when I built the website, we we put the term progressive Christian community. Actually, we built it right into the website because uh, we wanted people to know that we're a church that's not afraid to kind of ask hard questions. We want to answer questions people are asking as opposed yeah. to just being a church of tradition that um, can be lost on a lot of people. So, mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm glad that um, you found us because that word was included in our web design for someone just like you. Um, oh, that's so, awesome. Because no one else, <laughs> like who else would search that, right? Unless someone is looking for that. So <laughs> for sure, it's just kind of amazing that I'm hearing you say this now because when I did that, I thought, eh, I don't know who will really know what that's about. But yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that... Um, And yeah, I remember getting that message from you and I remember you showing up and, um, I could tell when, when you'd showed up that you were, I don't know if the word is skeptical, um, (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, maybe cautious, guarded. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I could sense that. And how long, sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I have a lot of friends who, are part of uh, different communities, specifically the LGBTQ community. And so it was something hard for me to navigate because a lot of my friends were very much like, you know, do I even know you? I need time to digest this. I've seen people with like go through pretty unspeakable trauma at the hands of 
different churches and different faith communities. So for me, I was really desperately looking for a place that would simplify faith for me and help me reconcile myself with this newfound faith, because everything that I thought I knew was something that had been told to me, not something I had discovered on my own. So the parish is actually like the key thing in my faith journey that showed me that faith can be socially responsible, loving, caring, and simple. It doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be rules, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so without the parish, I don't know if I would be where I am in my faith journey, honestly. Well, aren't you just reading the sound bites? Our motto <laughs> at the parish is a simple faith community. Yes. <laughs> and once again, you're picking up everything we're putting down. Um, like like what you've just described, we, I myself, as the pastor, got very disillusioned by the politics of, of uh, Christian faith, especially being one involved in the ministry end of it. Um, I just realized there's just so much politics. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a way that we can kind of boil this down to what really matters. And to me, that's the way of mm-hmm. Jesus, the teachings of mm-hmm. Jesus. So when we started the parish, you know, eight years ago, it was with just that premise. Let's just boil it all down and get rid of anything that is um, distracting from what we think ministry is supposed to be, what church, what community is supposed to be, like you've described, loving and responsible. Um, Mm -hmm. And so those shape these values that are the parish. It's funny you say responsible. One of our values is responsibility. Um, one of our values is simplicity and we've decided to build everything we do around these ideas. And there are people that misunderstand that all the time. And and Mm -hmm. I get that. And we're, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. It's Mm -hmm. just, um, because where I was in our, in my journey, um, I just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and follow him around and learn to be like him. So absolutely. I feel like, uh, what, I, I'm sure I'm not the only person who has a similar similar story, but I feel like what makes my faith journey unique is just um, I, I feel like I, I identify a lot with this community that would call themselves like ex-evangelicals, people who have like deconstructed and reconstructed their faith, which is like a whole other topic of conversation. Right. But I feel like I tried to cram all of that into the span of a couple of months. I was like, I was unstoppable. I would stay up all night reading the gospels until I'd finished them because I wanted to know, I wanted to, to get into it, to dive into it. I wanted to have debates and talk about it. And I'm just so lucky that I had a community and friends like Jackie um, and places like the parish where I could go and ask those questions because so many people had to do this all on their own. And like, mm. where do you start? Right. Yeah. It's, it's very hard. Um, mm-hmm. It's very hard uh, when you, um, discover faith later in life and you find yourself wandering into a church you feel behind and you don't speak the language, you don't get the cliches and it can be very difficult for someone to find their way into community Mm -hmm. when, um, you know, and and sometimes what happens is people feel kind of forced to kind of adopt this language, even if they don't fully understand it or agree with it just so that they can be accepted. You know, you you use the term ex-evangelical. It's funny because I, I was an evangelical pastor for 17 years. Um, mm-hmm. And I, the term I use is post-evangelical um, okay. because it, it's not that I'm... Uh, the, the kind of church I, I, I pastor now and the kind of faith I have now has come after all of that evangelical experience. And 
Father Richard Rohr is one of my favorite Franciscan monks. He talks about this idea that when we become enlightened or we we become um, we have these epiphanies, these these moments where God opens our eyes to things, awareness. He says we kind of transcend and include all that we wear. We don't yes. necessarily walk away from it. It's still part of our past, and it's helped shape who we are now, even though we might understand it or see it differently. So a lot of my family are still in the evangelical community, and I get where they're coming from because I was one for so long. Now, mm-hmm. I've just, I've, uh, my faith has just grown, and yeah. I don't think yeah. it can be confined any longer by that, that term, that category, um, yet I understand it. So the term yeah. I use is post-evangelical, which... I like that, yeah. yeah. It's, I it's just like, less negative, you know, and it... Exactly. Um, and there's definitely, like, a, a need for words like deconstruction and reconstruction just to, like, explain this phenomenon oh, that's happening. But um, I do agree that, like, you don't throw it all away necessarily and start over. The basis of the faith is still there. It's more about uncovering what mattered all along, right? Exactly. So it's not like, you know, throw the whole thing away, start again, start fresh. It's You really do need the the foundation of who you are and where you've been in order to move forward, right? Yeah, and build on it. You know, exactly, as I, I look yeah. back now, I, I realize, wow, you know, for me, I've been preaching for 25 years. I look back on sermons I preached 10 years ago, and I can't preach them anymore. And mm-hmm. when I when I read these, I don't just throw them out. I, I ask myself, how have I grown? Why, why is it I struggle with that view of Jesus? And mm-hmm. it's really good for me, um, as opposed Absolutely. to just burning everything and... Um, and walking away, I've, I've asked myself, how have I grown? Why doesn't that fit anymore? Because that's that's what we see with Jesus. Jesus, mm-hmm. um, when we see him walking through, you know, Palestine 2,000 years ago, he challenges people's thinking. And, and what he's trying to do is cause them to stretch so that the yes, old doesn't yeah. fit anymore. He tells a great story about the old wineskins and the new wine. This idea like that, that, that once things have stretched, um, they don't they don't go back to their old shape. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what faith is supposed to be. You know, f- faith literally is is a journey. We're always supposed to be growing and changing. I don't believe what I believed 10 years ago. And that's a good, mm-hmm. th- that's not failure. It's because I experienced life honestly and realized that God is growing in me something beautiful that's evolving and becoming more loving. And it's, um, it's a good thing. I really do love the analogy of something growing. Like um, I saw a little comic on Facebook today that was like a seed in the ground. And it was like, this is so lovely. I'll stay here forever. (laughs) And then the seed starts breaking open and the sprout comes through and it's like, oh God, why the pain? But at the end, it's like a little flower going, huh, because he's above the ground now. Right. And so I really feel like the fertilizer to growing all this is the crappy stuff that happens and the scary stuff that happens. Like without what happened to Drew, uh, I wouldn't be where I am and I wouldn't know Jesus. And mm-hmm. you just really do have to focus on the positives there and how it helps you grow for sure. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm not one who believes that, you know, I'm going to be very careful with this next statement because um, <laughs> a lot of people would say, well, everything happens for a reason. Um, I, I struggle with that because that that makes it sound like God planned all this. And um, I I just don't believe that. You know, you know my story. My wife is a paraplegic. Five years ago, um, she lost the ability to, to walk and, and, and move most of her body um, because of a random virus. And mm-hmm. when people say to me, well, 
You know, everything happens for a reason. I struggle with the thought that God planned this. Instead, yeah. I like to, the way I like to explain it is I believe everything happens. Life is filled with suffering. This is part of this journey we're on. And I believe that everything happens. And what faith does for me is allow me to give it a reason. God mm -hmm. helps mm -hmm. us attach yeah. meaning to struggle. And Absolutely. that's how I hear your story. You know, I don't think that God planned all these things so that you could one day. No, no. Instead, I believe that somehow God has always been trying to speak to us. And that mm -hmm. one November in a hospital chapel, for some reason, um, Kayleen, you heard. Yeah. And you responded. And, mm -hmm. um, and to me, that's the beautiful story of redemption. You know, it's not that, um, like you, that little... Um, graphic you talked about you saw on the internet of the of the seed you know some look at our circumstances and think that we've been buried but not to make it sound like a cliche the alternative is right the, <laughs> the alternative is to think instead and that's a choice we make mm -hmm. i don't think that god Absolutely. goes around and plants these things jesus mm -hmm. tells the story of the soils and we are the soil and i think Absolutely. what happens is the opportunity is for us to say i'm going to choose Instead of allowing this to bury me, I'm going to allow something, hope, faith to be planted in me so that something can grow from it. And that's, that's what I hear from your story anyways. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. You know, you said something, um, you talked about how you had struggled with, with mental health, even, you know, during and before, um, Drew's, um, surgery and all of that mm -hmm. stuff, um, but you've, you've said a couple nuggets here that are just so profound. Um, one was this notion that things are not going to be the same. Um, mm -hmm. And so we've got to change and we've got to make it good. There's a wisdom there, Kayleen, that I think comes because you've experienced suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe in a weird way, you're better prepared than most of us for times like this because of what you and Drew have experienced already. You know, like, on the other side of Drew's surgery, there was no normal to get back to. It was yeah. um, a new way of living to discover. And I think you talked about grieving, you know, mm -hmm. learning how to grieve that old life that you're not going to get again. Instead, mm -hmm. um, you're going to get a new life. And I think that's what most of us are experiencing with this COVID-19. And, and yeah, just definitely. listening to you talk, I think, man, there's a wisdom in what you are saying. And I think it comes on the far side of the pain you've experienced. So maybe, maybe you're, you're farther ahead than you know. Um, yeah, I, I guess I hadn't really drawn that correlation, but maybe the reason why we're feeling pretty okay and kind of enjoying ourselves is that we're like, okay, well, we're going to weather another storm. Let's do it. We survived last time and good things came out of it. So who's to say that won't happen again, right? Absolutely. My God. It's, you know, me and Amy were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, just this notion that the hurting, the suffering, those that have experienced hardship are probably going to lead the way through this because we have nothing to lose, right? Yeah, you've lost, perhaps. you've lost everything before. Mm -hmm. You're not afraid about the stock markets. You're not afraid about a lot of things because that's not where, you know, for whatever reason, you've never been able to invest there. Instead, you're, you're investing in the daily hope that God will show up in this, the way he showed up in other moments, yes. you know? Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And so maybe, 
maybe there's a truth to that, that what's going to set us free, what's going to create a better world on the other side are those who've actually struggled because they know how to persevere. They know how to build a new life. I think there are going to be a lot of loud voices after this whole kerfuffle starts to wrap up. A lot of people advocating for mental health structures and supports, uh, yeah. economical support. And I, I think that like, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I think good things are going to come of this. Uh, despite it being a really crappy situation, I, I'm hoping that we move forward with a sort of collective perspective change, yeah. um, focusing on what matters, right? I agree. Absolutely. And that was the question I was going to ask you. What, what's your hopes for the world post-COVID-19? And <laughs> Oh, I jumped the gun a little there. Um, yeah, I, I really do. I hope, I hope to see... Um, an increase in mental health supports. Um, and I hope to see an increase in support for people who are low income, um, people who, you know, the whole like stay home thing, there are still people who don't have homes. <laughs> so maybe, maybe this is something that can like shift everybody's perspective, shake you up enough to make you see what's going on, things that maybe you have the privilege not to notice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping we all sort of look in a similar direction and move forward together, unified after all of this. It's overly optimistic, but what can you do but hope for the best, right? <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Kayleen is beautiful. We need more. We need more, Kayleen's. <laughs> we need more. Go replicate. I don't know. Figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> but listen, thanks. Thanks for taking your Monday and oh, of um, chatting with me and sharing and being honest and vulnerable with us. Really appreciate it. Thank and we're you. so excited. You're part of our parish community. And um, yeah, we just love hearing your voice and having your presence. I can't wait until we can all get back together and do <laughs> a big table nice? again. Uh, but this is great nice? in the meantime. I'm glad you're doing this. So thank yeah. you so much for Very elevating cool. everyone's voices and keeping us keeping us together as like a cohesive community, even though we can't physically be together. So yeah. thank you. You're welcome. Give Drew a hug for us. Oh, of course I will. Okay. Pet, and pet, <laughs> pet the toe beans. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. <laughs> Bye.